Have you ever got yourself lost in unfamiliar territory? A few, many years ago now, I was at home uh, in my living room, minding my own business, watching the TV, when a, a lady from this church, a friend of mine, phoned me up and she said, me and my girlfriend, we're out having a walk over Clanton Hills and we're lost, okay? And she's not from Hales Owen, she's from Dudley, so that explains a lot. I'm joking, I'm joking if you're from Dudley, all right? And I, I said to this lady, I texted her yes and said, do you mind if I use this illustration, I'll make it anonymous. And she said, no, that's fine. So I will make it anonymous because I don't want the next time she comes to speak or play and lead worship, I don't want you to... <laughs> Sorry, I've done it, haven't I now? So, so anyway, Jane called me and she said, <laughs> she said... I'm lost with this friend of mine who was an American that was at OM at the time. And we, we, we parked the car somewhere around Clent Hills and we've walked and we've been talking and walking. Do you know what I mean? Girl thing, I think. And, uh, and, and we're lost and, and I don't know what to do. So I went out and eventually I tracked them down and found them and got them back to their car. And I said, how did you get so lost? And the other girl said to me, we followed the rabbits. <laughs> followed the rabbits. That's how they got so lost. They followed the rabbits. Okay. Now, fast forward a few years, and still a few years ago, my wife, Alison, uh, was in South Africa at the mission organization that we partnered with for many years, Hands at Work, in White River, near Nelspruit. And she was there with another of our female elders. Again, I don't want to embarrass her, but it wasn't Iris. So anyway, the two of them were there, um, and uh, they had to drive from White River to Johannesburg Airport, which is about five hours. But it's a really easy road. You drive to the road, you turn left, and then you keep driving, and then you get there. So that's all the directions they had, because that's all the directions that they needed. You just drive, and then make sure you get that one left turn, and then drive all the way there, five hours, and you're there. Of course, they missed that turn, because they were talking. There's a theme coming out here as well. And they kept driving, though, and they kept driving, they kept driving. Eventually, they came into a sign that said, you are now about to enter Swaziland, which is a bit of a problem for two white women in a very, very difficult community and, and area and part of the world, okay? Very difficult part of the world. And so basically, they're going to miss their flight. Now, they had no map, they had no sat-nav, and they were in uncharted waters and territory, okay? They did find their way back to the airport, f fortunately, which was really, really good. But, 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 but as I prepared that, I thought, there's two stories about women who got lost. And before I get emails on Monday morning... I thought I ought to balance it up a little bit. So I've been doing some research on men and our attitude to map reading and asking for directions. Okay, so this is research. According to research, men will clock up, this is, this is amazing, an extra 900 extra miles, which is the equivalent of driving from John O'Groats to Land's End, while lost during their lifetime. 900 miles. Just 6% of men surveyed said they would ask for directions or check a map. Only 6%. And over twice as many soldier on regardless until they find an alternative route. Now, this is the one that just absolutely made me despair being a man, okay? The survey of 1,000 men also found that 14%, which is 140 men, said they refused to stop as, and I quote, all roads eventually lead to the same place. Oh my gosh, 140 men out of 1,000 actually believe that. Please help us. Over, uh, uh, so is it pride, the research says? Is it pig-headedness? Yes. <laughs> I did pause there for someone to speak. Or is it something a little more subtle? And I love this about research because it can really say whatever you want it to say. But the, no the notion that men as a gender might have a roaming gene cannot be discounted. Millions of sperms get lost and never make it to the egg. 
Men, men are prone to idealizing meaningless movement, train spotting, bird watching, drone flying. And all of these are expressions of this and they're hobbies that attract millions of men. So we should not be ashamed of this wayfaring drive. Getting lost, listen to this, getting lost should be repositioned as a quality of strength and character. <laughs> I think a man wrote this research. I may be wrong, but I, I, I want to suggest... And then it says this, the life journey only ever terminates in death and who wants to get there? So getting lost in this broader philosophical context, the very definition of what it means to be human is getting lost. Exploring the side roads, pondering on the meaningless of it all and delaying the inevitable. What a load of utter tosh, <laughs> isn't it just? But just to balance it out, but there's something about when you get lost and your map is useless, and your sat-nav has died, what do you do? And you know, life can be just like that. You can be calmly heading on in life, and everything's fine, then all of a sudden, you lose a partner. All of a sudden, somebody close to you dies. All of a sudden, your boss says to you, sorry, but you know, we've got to do something here. You're going to lose your job. All of a sudden, your finances take a, a, a turn for the worse. All of a sudden, one of your kids comes home from school and tells you something and something's happened. All of a sudden, your, your health situation has changed and you can find yourself off the map. You can find yourself in uncharted waters. You can find yourself in a situation where nobody has worked out the longitude. You don't know how long you're going to be like Ferdinand Magellan. You find yourself off the map and your sat-nav has died. What do you do when that happens? And you know, there are times when, and I guess for many of you, you would say this morning that you're a follower of Jesus. And there are times for us, not just in life, but in working out our faith when it feels like that as well. Life can be great, but how do we work out our faith? How do we navigate faith in the uncharted waters of our culture? We said this last week, we, you know, for years we've been talking about being in a postmodern context, but we're way beyond postmodern now. We're what's termed often as post-Christian. When you look at ethics and morality, and especially in the area of sexual identity, what is going on in the world is mind-boggling. Where now people are saying that, that you can define yourself in terms of your sexual identity by however you feel on that particular day. So we're talking about a lot about gender fluidity and all of these kind of issues. It's a minefield. It's uncharted waters. The world in front of us is nothing like the world we've left behind. And so it can feel. And when you look at globalization and technology and, and politics and, and finance and all of this, it can feel like you're off the map. It can feel like the map, any map you've got is useless. And, and your sat-nav that would help you has died. What do you do? How do we navigate through? How do we reach the destination that we set out to reach? And then, of course, there's the problem of declination, which I know is an issue that you've been thinking about a lot these last few weeks. But declination is literally the angular deviation of a compass from true north. You see, when you get a compass, you think it points to north, but it doesn't point to true north, which is true north. It points to magnetic north. And magnetic north can always shift and it can change. And the problem is that if it's changing, how do you know where you are and how do you know where you're going? And too many of us live our lives guided by magnetic north rather than true north. And that can be things like cultural whims, our feelings, others' expectations, our own selfish desires. And these are like magnetic north things. And here's the thing. If you set out going to somewhere and you're one degree out, okay, over time you've missed it. 
And what happens in our lives as Christians and what happens in our lives, whether we're a Christian or not, is that we've got some values and we've got some idea of where we want to be in life. And we set out and we think it's true north, but it's magnetic north that's guiding us. And so before we know where we are, we either miss the destination or we're shipwrecked. And what we want to look at over the next five weeks is what compasses can we put into our life which can keep us on a true north, not a magnetic north. That's what we're going to look at. Because there is hope, folks. You do know that, don't you? There is hope. We can know true north in the midst of our lives. Whether we've entered into those uncharted, stormy waters or whether we're just trying to live out our faith in our crazy, mixed up world. God speaks into the context and he gives us some navigational tools that we can trust. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you don't know anything about this, then basically the Bible is, is not a book, it's books. It's 66 books. It's split between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the New Testament books, this is after the time of Jesus, um, is the book of Hebrews. And we're going to talk about that over the next five weeks. So if you want to read something to prepare yourself, I'd really encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11. But we're going to dip into other parts of it as well. Now, who wrote the book of Hebrews? We're not entirely sure. Most people think it was the Apostle Paul, but there's other theories around. Some think it was Barnabas. Some think it was Apollos, which are early apostles. There is a theory that maybe even Priscilla and Aquila, that husband and wife team, that couple that, that was so instrumental in the early church. We're not exactly sure. Who was it written to? We're much surer on that. It was written to Hebrew Christians. In other words, people who'd grown up in the faith of Judaism but had become followers of Jesus. And it was written somewhere between uh, the two great persecutions of the church. The first under Nero and then the second under the emperor Domitian. And this, it was a time of social and cultural upheaval and persecution of the church. And the writer of Hebrews writes to this group of people for a purpose. And the purpose is this, that in the midst of your uncharted waters, in the midst of this challenging time you live in, what the writer to the Hebrews, and I may say Paul from time to time because that's my belief, all right? But that's not proved. Um, but I'm right. No, it's not. But, but basically what he's trying to say is this, in the midst of your craziness, you can know true north. You can know true north. And what he writes in the book of Hebrews can be summed up a little bit in Hebrews 10, the last few verses. And it says this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You see, one of the things with these early Christians here is that they were second generation believers. You know, we're heading out to Albania and Bulgaria uh, this year. And you know that we've been going out there in a long time. I've been out for about 25, 26 years now. And I, I remember just a few years ago chatting to some of my Albanian friends who, who became believers in the 1990s. And they were the first generation of believers in their country. Because uh, Christianity was outlawed under, under communism, under, under the, the, the dictator Hodger. And, and, and talking to them about when they came to faith, they said this. When we came to faith as first generation believers, God was so alive to us. He said the Bible was precious. You know, if there was a church service anywhere, we had to be there. Then they said this. But then the second generation that have grown up, it's a whole different story. And then the third generation. And all of a sudden, Europe becomes a little bit more exciting. You know, MTV, technology, Facebook, Instagram. And all of a sudden, going to church, reading your Bible. All of a sudden, there's a drift that goes on. And that's nothing new. The writer of the Hebrews was writing to these believers who were in the midst of this persecution. And he was saying, don't drift. Don't drift. Stay true north. 
So he says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then it says, at verse 39, but we do not belong to those who are shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have what? Faith and are saved. And then immediately drops into chapter 11. And of course, in the Bible originally, there weren't chapters. So immediately after that verse is the next verse. And that introduces the first compass that we're going to look at today, folks, which is the compass of faith. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, you know some, what is faith? Some people think that and, and skeptics assert that faith is believing in spite of evidence or proof. I want to say that isn't what faith is at all. In fact, true faith is based on historical reasons and evidence. And one of the big things about the Alpha Course is that the Alpha Course enables us to look at some of that evidence and some of those reasons that our faith is based on. And we've got a lot of people signed up for Alpha starting tomorrow night, which is brilliant. Please pray for that, guys, won't you? And if maybe this morning you're someone and you haven't yet fully committed to God and you're not sure about this, maybe you've got questions. We'd love you to come to Alpha. It isn't too late for you to sign up. Or maybe you've got friends or family or work colleagues and you know that there's some kind of God inquiry going on in their life, but actually they've got questions and they're skeptical about the evidence. Why don't you invite them to come along? It's amazing at the last baptism just before Christmas to hear the story from someone whose friend in the church had invited them and, and they'd gone through the Alpha Course and here they were, you know, just before Christmas getting baptized and giving testimony to that. That's an amazing thing. So true faith rests on solid and substantial reasons, but faith takes us beyond proof, but not away from it. Faith in God is a belief, not only that he is real, but that he's also worth knowing. Faith isn't just an intellectual thing about the existence of God. It's that God is not only real, but he's worth knowing. And he's worth entering into a lifelong relationship with. You know, the modern mind says that God is optional or opt-out or even irrelevant. You know, one of the interesting things to me as I, as I observe and read about the rise of atheism in the Western culture, and I, and I read people and I won't quote who they are, names of people that some of you will know and some of you won't, uh, 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 who claim to be atheists. And they attack God so vehemently. And I want to say, you're attacking the person that you say doesn't exist. Intellectually, that doesn't make any sense. How can you have such attacking words for a person or a thing or a substance or, or, or a being that you say does not exist? If he doesn't exist... Then, then why are you even saying that? And actually, most, a lot of people who claim to be atheists aren't really. They just can't get on with their understanding of who God is. And, and, and so I want to say that the modern mind says that God is irrelevant, but actually the modern mind is still looking for God because there's something inside all of us. Faith is a hope-filled view of life grounded in confidence of God and directed towards the promises of God. Corrie ten Boom, that great writer, uh, if you know her story from the Second World War, she says, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Isn't that great? As we look through the lens of possibility, this compass of faith is so important. People of faith are not driven by fear or duty, but inspired and sustained by a future painted and promised by God and with the sense of God's presence at work as they journey that life journey through with him. And God says about faith in Hebrews 11 verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
So in this series, we're going to look in Hebrews 11 at some characters that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. We're going to pull their story out and we're going to look at the compass that they talk about, which will help us. And the first one is often referred to as the father of faith. So we have to look at Abraham. So if you've got your Bible, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verse 8 together. And this, this verse 8 uh, to 12 is like a little synopsis of some of the ways in which the compass of faith enabled Abraham to live in uncharted waters off the map. It says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He had no map. He was off the map. He had the satnav was non-existent. He obeyed and went because of faith. Then he says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, like a long way past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who'd made the promise. And so from this one man, and I love this description, and he as good as dead. That's not great, is it? And he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So in what ways was faith a compass for Abraham? Let me just give you a few ideas. One way faith is a compass for Abraham and can be for us is that faith enabled him to go. Faith enabled him to hear God's word that said go, even though he didn't know where he was going. Even though he did not have a map, even though he didn't have the sat-nav and the GPS, faith enabled him to go. You see, faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. And could it be that this year, 2017, could this be a year where you and I exercise the muscle of faith? You see, faith is a muscle. If you exercise it, it will get stronger. Many of you know that I've joined the gym this last year. I've talked about it a little bit, but not for a long time. But when I, when I joined it in January last year, okay, I, they said to me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to get fit. I want to lose weight and I want to get fit. Okay, in what areas? So I said these areas. They said, okay, you need to do some weights. Okay, so they put me on these weight things and did these bench presses and this. And I could, oh, I mean, I could press all of five kilograms. Now, I, I was useless, absolutely useless. They put, I said, you're going to have to take it down, mate. I took it down. I said, and again, it took it down again. And at one point, I thought he's going to say, I can't take it any less. You're just pushing an empty bar. Well, anyway, he set it to a level. I won't say what it was because it was shameful. And so I went on that for a bit. But then actually, I thought, you know what? I can do this. And so I went back to him and I said, I think you need to push it up. So he pushed it up to 10 kilograms. It wasn't 10. I'm joking. All right. It was a bit more than that. But basically what I'm saying is that as I did it more, the muscle gets stronger and you can do more. Faith is exactly the same. And if it's been a long time since you've heard God say go, maybe 2017 is a year. When God says step out, step out of your comfort zone, exercise the muscle of faith. Maybe believe God for something. Maybe go do something you haven't done. Maybe go witness and share your faith with someone. Maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe you could hear God say, hey, go and check it out. But if you exercise that muscle of faith, it will grow stronger. But faith also enabled Abraham to wait You see, a lot of Abraham's life was about going, but then it was about waiting. And it takes faith to go, but can I also suggest it also takes faith to wait. And he had to wait on the promise and he had to wait in the land. He set out from his place to go somewhere, but he ended up in another place and he stayed there and he had to wait for God's timing. And I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Is there anyone else in the house that hates waiting? I hate it. 
But sometimes it takes faith to wait. And I want to say maybe for you this morning, maybe you're waiting for something to happen in your life. And in the midst of waiting, I think God would say, don't drift. Don't drift to a magnitude. Stay true north. Use the compass of faith. God can give you the faith to wait. And also the compass of faith enabled Abraham to see. To see through the lens of possibility. God came to him and he said, and I'm paraphrasing this, oh man, you're going to have a kid. And as he looked at himself, and then as he looked at his wife, he said, really? And actually through the lens of possibility, the Bible says, he believed God. He believed God. Because with God, all things are possible. And you see, faith enables you to go, it enables you to wait, but it also enables you to see. And I want to say to you folks, as we enter into this year with all that's going on, you know, please read some of the scriptures which talks about we focus not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because there is a more real world than what we see, and that's in the invisible world. And we often, we are so focused by what we see on our screens, or what we see on our TVs, but what we see in terms of image and clothes and looks and all of that. We want to see beyond that. Faith is a compass which enables you to see beyond the scene. But then just before Christmas, I was watching this talk by Andy Stanley, who I follow a lot. And he talked about this. And I want to just share a little bit out of this talk with you because it's so good. And it may make some of you twitch a little bit, but I hope that you get to the point at the end. And for some of you who've been Christians a long time, at the end of this, you're going to say, really, is that all you're going to say? But I want to say, I think that if we can grasp this, this is revelation, revelation. And here's the question. What if faith has a starting point? What if faith has a starting point? You see, Abraham was not only the father of faith, as in the concept of faith, but he's also the father of the faiths. And Abraham is the father of three of world faiths. And we're going to talk about world faiths for a moment this morning without you getting twitchy. Because Judaism, Christianity and Islam all attribute their start to this man, Abraham. You see... uh, And and as Christians, the reason why we take Abraham seriously is that Jesus took Abraham seriously. And if anyone can predict and pull off his own death and resurrection, then we ought to take him seriously. So because Jesus said it took Abraham seriously, we're going to take it seriously as well. Now, I want to talk to you a little little bit about these three faiths for a moment. Number one, they all believe in one God. This is what's called a monotheistic faith. Now, there are other faith religions out there like Hinduism, which is polytheistic. It believes in millions, literally hundreds and thousands and almost millions of, of gods. But Islam, Judaism and Christianity all believe in one God. They all believe in one man at the start of it all, Adam. They all believe that humanity messed up the earth. And they all believe that God began the process of sorting it all out through this one man, Abraham. Okay? So all these are on the same page at that point. It's at that point that they all start to diverge and go different ways. And the reason that the divergence is so important is that it centers around a tension that we all wrestle with. And if we can grasp it and find the compass of faith, we can navigate not only life, but death as well. And here's the tension. If there is a God, where do I stand with him? If there is a God, where do I stand in connection to that God? You see, we've all messed up. So where is God when we've messed up? You ever, you ever been, had your kid like mess the whole house up? Anyone ever had that? Or was that you know, and you walk in, you think, oh my goodness, the kid has messed the whole house up. How do you relate to the kid? The kid's thinking, what will mom or dad do? 
Do you know what I mean? Because they're in their mess and they're looking to you for, their, for your reaction. And of course, as great parents, you say, hey, it's all right. I still love you. You're not what you're doing, you're, aren't you? you? Do you know what I mean? Or you do whatever else you do. But, but basically, there's that moment of tension. I'm in the mess. What will mum or dad do? And we, I think we're all honest enough to know. We've all messed up, haven't we? Humanity has messed up. What does God do in the middle of my mess? God realizes the world is in a mess. Is he going to step in or is he going to step out? All three of these major faiths believe that he stepped in through this one man, Abraham. And it was around 1876 BC that God spoke to this man called Abraham, who was living in a very polytheistic world at the time. He was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is Mesopotamia. It's where we now know as northern modern Iraq. So when we look at that part of the world, we see it on our news every week. The place where God began the redemption of mankind is the place that we're looking at, which is so filled with violence and hate right now. Isn't that poignant? Poignant. This is the place where God first spoke. Um, He's kind of initiated his process for restoring fallen, broken, messed up humanity. And he called this man. And this man lived in this polytheistic world where it was survival of the fittest and the wealthiest. And if you wanted something, you just took it. And God spoke to him and he called him out and he asked him to head away. Uh, With no map, with no sat-nav, with nothing other than faith in his hand. And you know, he wasn't a perfect man. He doubted, he deceived, he denied, he dodged. But when God spoke to him in Genesis 12, he gave him three incredible promises, which all three of these faiths would know about and ascribe to. Number one, God said, I will make you into a great nation. And he did. And Jews and Christians would say that's Israel. Of course, the Arab world would say something very different. The Muslim world would say something very different. Then secondly, I will make your name great. How many of you, show of hands, have ever heard of the name Abraham before? Okay, maybe most of you. How about this guy here? You want Chedorlaomer? Come on, you all have heard of him, haven't you? Can I, can I just say, if you're looking for a name for your kid, go for that one. All right? Because nobody in your school will ever have that. That, all right, at the time of Abraham, he was one of the most famous men in the world. That's the king of Edom. Now, none of us have ever heard of him, but we've all heard of Abraham. So when God says, I will make your name great, do you know what? God does what he says. Amen? God does what he says. I'll make your name great. And he's done that. I will make you into a great nation. And he's done that. And then the third thing is, and all the people on earth will be blessed because of you, Abraham. And whether you're a Jew or a Muslim or a Christian, you'd say yes to that. No one comes close to touching this planet other than Jesus, than this great man, Abraham. So where am I going with all this? Like that's some of the history bit of it. But where am I going? What about personal faith? And how does, what has this got to do with personal faith? It's all to do with the divergence. It's all to do with where the three stories begin to go in separate ways. You see, God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12 and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great and all the earth will be blessed through you. But then in Genesis 15, verse 4, it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, looking at his son, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Because he wasn't his own flesh and blood. You know the story if you know it. And Abraham's looking around at his wife and he said, Really, God? And here's where the starting point of faith comes in. Here's where the divergence of these three faiths happens. Because in the next verse, verse 5, it says this. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here it is. Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him 
as righteousness. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, is that it? You took 30 minutes to say that? Listen, this is revelation, if you can grasp it. The starting point of faith is simply trust. When we trust God, that's it. How we are put in a right relationship with God is by believing Him. God says that. Can you put that back up, Chris, please? God says, God says, Abraham, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited. In other words, he put back into his bank account. You were in deficit and now you're not. You are made right standing with me. Could it simply be that the starting point of faith is trust? Could it be that the rung on the ladder is that low that it could just be trust? Absolutely it is. Because you see, trusting in God equals right standing with God. Trusting in God equals right standing with God. You can put the next thing. Thank you. In other words, that's all we need to do to be in right relationship with God is to trust Him. And this is the problem with the three faiths, including Christianity. That the three faiths couldn't quite handle the simplicity of what faith is all about. It's got to be more complicated than that. It can't just be that you believe God and that you trust Him. There's got to be more to it. And so to the Jews, then you get the sacrificial system. You get laws and regulations. You get tassels and phylacteries. You know what that is, don't you? I want to do a sermon on tassels and phylacteries. I'm going to do it one day, all right? Basically, some of the robes that the priests were calling. How wide are your phylacteries and how long are your tassels? That's my title, but God hasn't kind of given me the the kind of go-to to to do that. But they came up with all this complicated stuff, the Jews. And, you know, for them, it was like, we're Abraham's kids. We don't need the Messiah because we've got the heritage. So, So actually, no, faith is about trusting God. It's not about the systems. It's not about the heritage. It's not about the history. It's as simple as that. And they couldn't handle it. And then Islam came along and they believed in one God. And they believed in Abraham as the father of faith. But then was the acceptance of the prophet Muhammad. Then there was all of the the pillars of Islam. And then in the final analysis, Allah will determine at the final reckoning whether you're right or not. And folks, and don't get twitchy on me, even Christianity... So just a few chapters into the birth of the church, in Acts chapter 15 onwards, they're debating about whether these new people who become followers of Jesus need to be circumcised or not. I vote not. That's just my, just, yeah, amen. Okay. And so, Because it's not enough. Trust isn't enough. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then if you look at the church history, you look then at like um, things like penances and indulgences and, and you've got to go through the priest and this. And then the Reformation came along in 1517 when this great man Martin Luther nailed these 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. And he said, no, it's justification by faith alone. You don't need anything else other than to believe in what Jesus has done. You believe God. That's the starting point of faith. And God has already revealed just how low the wrong is. That all we need to do to exercise faith is to simply believe God. And when I thought about this, I thought, that is so simple, but it's so profound because I make it so complicated. And what does this mean? What what has this got to do with me and us? Well, let me just just help you by maybe talking to three groups of people this morning. I don't want to put you in categories, but, but, but this may be helpful. If you don't have faith, could you begin? Beginning faith, starting faith, is simply trust in God. You might say, but I don't have all the answers. Join the club. All right. Nobody else here does. But if you want to start that beginning of faith, if you want to have a compass that will help you navigate through life and through death, 
Could you trust him? But maybe for some of you, it's if you did. Maybe if you did have faith. Maybe once upon a time, you did have this faith, which the Bible calls childlike faith. Not childish, but childlike faith. Simple trusting God. Maybe you did that. Maybe that was part of your life story. But then maybe you lost that partner. Maybe that person left. Maybe that health issue came. Maybe that business situation changed. Maybe that person hurt you in church. Maybe that job that you really wanted didn't materialize. And maybe hurt and pain and bitterness came in. And then maybe you said, do you know what, God? I trusted you. Look at what's happened. And maybe you don't have that simple trust and faith now. If you did, could you return? So if you don't, could you start? If you did, could you return? And it's as simple as saying, God, I believe you. And God says, and I want to make you right again with me. I want to make you right again with me. And all it needs is saying, God, I believe you. So if you don't, could you start? If you did, could you return? If you do, could you continue? Could this year 2017 be a year when you continue to walk by faith? And that will mean for some of us, looking at all the areas of our life and saying, God, I want to trust you with any and every area of my life. Now, I know that's easier to say than do. We trust God with a lot of areas of our life, but me and Alison, we have some areas which we struggle with. I do. And one of, one of them you all know about is our son, Simeon. And his needs and disability, and he's been in a season where life's been good. And then we turn up yesterday to pick him up, to take him out, as we always do at 1.30 on a Saturday. And they pull us into the office and they say he's had a terrible night and he's bashed his face and broke his nose open and all kinds of stuff, just through frustration and, and what have you. And again, you're then back in that place. Can I trust you, God, with the most important thing in my life? Maybe some of you are... You know, think, you know you, your kids are processing out a house and, and leaving the nest and all of that. And, and you're saying, can I trust them into your hands, God? You know, for some of us, I think we, we say, yep, fine with this. Can do that. Can trust you for finance. Can trust you for that. But there's just this one thing. Can you continue to walk by faith, which is simply trusting in God? So I want to invite you this morning to respond to this. I want to invite you to reactivate again that compass of faith. If you don't have faith, could you start? If you did have faith, could you return? And if you do have faith, could you continue in that faith? Why don't we pray together? Why don't we pray? And you know, faith isn't a feeling. Faith is something that we do. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in a person. We have faith in Jesus. We have faith in our God. And we have to activate that faith. And so this morning, I want to ask if there's any of you here, and maybe for you, it's like, maybe you don't have faith. And right now, maybe you could start. Or maybe you did, but you don't now. Maybe you could return. Or maybe for some of you, you do have it, but there is an area that you're struggling to trust God with. If any of that applies to you, I want to invite you to respond to God this morning by just simply standing. And by standing, you are activating that faith. You are moving towards Him and saying, I want to trust you. And then I want to pray for you. Thank you at the back there for the courage to do that. Anybody? And, and it's really hard because that one area, you know, which you grab a hold of and you let go 
you want to grab it straight back. I know what that feels like. And it's a constant, this isn't a one-off thing. This is a constant returning to God, I believe. God, I believe. God, I believe. And there's a great verse in the Bible when one of the guys says to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. <laughs> and that's the tension and that's the struggle. So this morning, I want to just pray for you. And, and maybe if it's helpful for you, you know, one of the things physically is important that I find helpful is just to hold my hands out and open my hands as a sign of saying, God, I, want, I don't want to be closed-fisted about this. I want to open. And here's this thing that I want to trust you with. And here's this issue. And I want to just give it to you again. So, Father, I want to thank you for everyone who's standing right now. God, would you come by your spirit, Lord Jesus, and would you help them to know that you are with them? that you are their guardian, that you will never leave them or desert them. You didn't just push Abraham out. You went with him. Like we sung already this morning, you go before him. You are inside him. You are around him. And God, I just pray right now that there would be a release, an active release of faith in our hearts and lives here today. God, we want to trust in your name. We want to believe you. And God, we choose to put our hope and our trust in you. It's not blind faith, God, but it is active faith. And it is a faith that begins with trust. So, Father, I pray you'd help us, everyone, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand together? Guys, in a moment, we're going to finish our time together. We're going to sing a final song of response for all of us, really. Uh, And this song, I think, helps us to say, God, I'm counting on your name. I'm trusting in you. We're reaffirming again this compass of faith. And if you would value someone praying for you personally, maybe into some of those issues a little bit more than what we were able to do then, then there's a prayer room and there's a prayer team here. They'd love to meet with you and just pray with you. Okay, Father, thank you for your word, God, the simplicity and yet the the profundity of your word, God. And I pray that, Jesus, that we would grab a hold of this compass of faith this year. And God, that we would return and that we would to that place of trust in you and to reaffirm that God, we believe you. No matter what we see, no matter what is happening, God, our hope and our faith and our trust is in you. We are counting on your name, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's lift our voices and let's sing.